I'm Nick Turzo, and you are listening to The Radical. My guest this week hails from our neighbor to the north, Canada. Having transitioned from an artist career to a songwriter and producer career, she has contributed to huge hits by artists such as BTS, Benny, and David Guetta. Jenna Andrews joins me to discuss songwriting, modern A&R, being an entrepreneur, and her own show, The Green Room, which focuses on mental health in the artist community. Coming up, my conversation with Jenna Andrews. Welcome, Jenna. Thank you for being a guest on my show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> uh, no, I'm very happy because you're going to tutelage me, an old A&R man, oh. <laughs> on how the modern music business works. Um, and I want to hear it from your perspective, especially around pop music, um, how it's changed and uh, what it's become. But um, you're multifaceted. You're a songwriter. You were an artist. Uh, you're an entrepreneur with a publishing company. Uh, you do some A&R for my friend Barry Weiss at uh, Record. Um, and, you know, I do want to get to the point where we talk about the green room, too, and the, the initiative around that, because I think that's really an important piece yeah. of um, what you're doing currently. Um, Thank you. So, so I can't wait to get to that part. But <laughs> kind of like studying you a little bit, like I did over the weekend. Oh, love that. I, I, got, a, I got a sense, um, you know, you definitely knew your path, even as a teenager, and you were surprisingly committed at an early age to know this was where you belonged. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's so it's even before that, honestly, like when I was probably like, you know, five or six, it's, it's funny. Um, I, I know a lot of kids have that similar story, but I've got like a little, you know, piano and taught myself how to play, um, a bunch of songs and my parents were like, Oh my God, my kid is musical, <laughs> you know? And it's like, it's funny. I think for, for my parents, particularly just because they, they didn't come from musicians and they're not musicians themselves. So I think to have a kid that is musical was very like shocking for them. Cause they were like, wait, we didn't expect this. So I think that, um, from that point, and they're not like, they didn't ever, they never were the type of parents that wanted to like, pressure me to do something, but it was just always very in, in me. So I think from that, you know, moment on, I just, that's all I wanted to do as a kid. I didn't want a social life. I didn't want to like have, you know, I didn't want normal things that kids wanted. I just wanted to be in music, you know, <laughs> were they able to look, you said they're not really in that zone. Um, were they able to be supportive and guide you and kind of get you where you needed to go? Or was that your self-education? No, they were a hundred percent. No. What I mean by that is like, no, they, they absolutely were able to guide me and they were super supportive. Always the most supportive. I just don't think they ever were the type of parents that were like, um, pressuring me to do. Cause you know, sometimes like um, stage parents. <laughs> yeah. That's what I mean. Exactly. Like sometimes it's like, you can be like talented or, or be able to, um, have, you know, if, if I loved music and they saw that I had that ability and maybe I didn't want to do it as like a, you know what I mean? Like if I wanted just to be a kid, some parents would be like, no, you're going to act or singing classes every day. They weren't like that, but I wanted to do that. So they supported that. That's awesome. So awesome. <laughs> yeah. And, um, 
When did you, I mean, the artist career is initially the path you chose yeah, um, or it chose you. Um, it and, did um, choose me. I love that. It chose me. Yeah, for sure. And you, when did you have like your first uh, record deal by? Okay. So I was, um, well, I actually got signed to my first like production deal when I was 18. Um, which is, it was essentially like a record deal. That was like, you know, it wasn't, it, I, I ended up signing to, um, Island Def Jam when I was like 22. Um, but you know, I mean, the production deal counted as a record deal just because that was my first experience making a record, you know, um, did it come out? No, <laughs> just in case you wanted to know, it did not come out. <laughs> and was streaming at that point important? I mean, was there a way to you just to release tracks anyway, if it, even if it didn't come out? No, that's the thing. Like it was right before the, the whole streaming era started. I mean, to be honest, um, I was discovered on MySpace. Yes. It sounds like, oh, wow. yeah, yeah. So it's always like such a dinosaur thing to, to say, but it, it's true. So, I mean, um, funny enough, that's how, well, that's how Chris Smith actually, um, that's, that's how he found me. That's how like so many managers reached out so many, you know, label people. And, you know, I was, I'm from Calgary, um, Canada. So I, the first place that I moved when people started reaching out was, um, to Vancouver. So that was like, I lived there for like a year and then, um, you know, signed the production deal there. And then, um, it was like two or three years later, I ended up moving to Toronto. Got it. Was the ecosystem in Vancouver, you know, large enough? I mean, there's a lot of great studios and producers who were there back in the rock day. Um, (laughs) what was it like when you were there? (laughs) Um, no, no, no. It was, it was, it was, totally like for where, where I was, I think it was perfect. I mean, there was, you know, it was, a, it was a Canadian music scene, but you know, I, in some ways I feel really grateful in every way, actually feel grateful for that experience. And, and also just, you know, growing up in the Canadian music scene, just cause I think that there is definitely less like it's weird. It's like, there's, it's almost like there's less competition when you grow up in Canada. It's like, you just make music because you want to. And there's just like this feeling of like, Oh, I'm in my own little hub and I'm going to make music. And, and I'm, I I just want to make the best music I can. Whereas I found living in the U S sometimes is like, well, I mean, in particular, New York or LA it's um, there's so much competition. Sometimes that can be distracting on actually making music and, and making music for the right reasons. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So I, I find that like beyond the ecosystem of just like, like you said, having the right opportunities and having, you know, the right producers, the right artist connections or the right song or whatever there may be. I think beyond that, there was just a sense of like, um, like, like I didn't, there was no like peripheral things happening that were distracting me, which I think were great was amazing. and such a blessing to be able to get to where I'm at now. Does that make sense? That makes sense. I was just thinking with the governments uh, of Canada having like a little bit more of support around the arts, um, that maybe there's like an advantage there. And so more people kind of tried to get into it because of that, you know, oh, whatever stipends or whatever was, was around that program. You know? Oh my God. Of course. I mean, the CanCon thing, that's huge. It's like, if you have, it's like, you're guaranteed to be playing on the radio. If you're, if you're Canadian, it's like genius. It's like, 
<laughs> I love it's still like that. I mean, you can, you know, if I write a song with another Canadian here, it's like that song is guaranteed to be played on the radio in Canada. And then also the grants that they give you for, for videos. I mean, it's amazing. Right. That's pretty incredible. That's really the way is. to go. We don't do that here. <laughs> I know. It really is so cool. Like you can get grants for anything, like like photo shoots, videos, like um, like any like and it's 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 amazing that you can get that exposure. You know what I mean? Like it's I think go Canada. <laughs> so are you signed to like a major then? Or were you signed to an independent? And for how long did you pursue the artist career part? Yeah. So I was signed then in Vancouver, I was signed to the production deal, which was an independent. Um, and then when I moved to Toronto and started working with Chris Smith, I signed to Island Def Jam. Um, and yeah, in both, in both, uh, in both scenarios, I was, you know, I, I, I mean, I can still, I think once you're an artist, you're always an artist, but in that time I was actively an artist and I wasn't touring until I was signed to Island Def Jam. But, um, you know, I, essentially I feel like, you know, when people are like, what are you doing right now? Like what, you know, are you a songwriter? Are you a artist? Are you an exec? Whatever you, for me, I don't think the artist part ever that's doesn't ever go away. You know what I mean? It's just like, you're always going to be an artist, whether you're touring or whether you're actively, you know, doing the things that you have to as an artist, but in terms of being signed that, yeah, that was, um, that was basically like two years. I was, I had the, the deal in Vancouver when I moved to Toronto, um, signed to Island Def Jam. And I was there for seven years. Long wow, time. Nice. Nice. <laughs> so we can't expect it. Like someday you'll be back as an artist. <laughs> Did you say I'm going to take a bet you... on that. I'm going to take a bet on that. No, you have to, I'm going to be, I'm actually like thinking about making another record. There you go. Yeah, of course. That's what I'm saying. Like it's always in you. You know what I mean? Like, especially now, like I really, I feel like I'm getting the, the bug more than, more than ever in a long time. I don't know. Does that make sense? <laughs> Yeah. So talk to me about like the transition, like from that, like, you know, your artist career you worked at for seven years and it's, you kind of determine, wait a minute, I'm kind of finding the songwriting interesting and I have a little bit of a passion for it. Um, I'm going to kind of go down this track a little. Well, okay. So going back to like my experience on, you know, when I was signed to, to Island, what's, what's interesting is because I was right on like the brink of when, you know, streaming really started and with Spotify and stuff. Like I was signed in a time that like you made 500 songs and nothing came out, which is crazy. That just doesn't happen anymore. You know, ever that would never happen. It's like, you know, I, it wasn't like the TikTok era where you just test songs for your fans or whatever it is. Like, like I, like it was basically not allowed. You couldn't even like really do that, you know, like tease your songs or anything. So for me, I would sit there on my, with, on my hard drive, like a million songs. And I just felt like it was, it just felt like it was sucking the creative like love or soul out of me. Right. So it's like, you're signed for like, I basically put out one EP and one single in seven years. And so when I left the label, I think for me, the, the, the thing about wanting to be a songwriter and experience that uh, in the side of not having it be for me all the time is to actually just have my music come out. <laughs> I was like, Oh, well, this is great. I'm working with an artist and actually can have their songs come out. I'm in. So, so, so that's, so that's essentially why I think 
um, I really wanted to, to do that in the beginning. And then it just let, as life does, sometimes it just takes you down a path that's supposed to be. And it just ended up being like, okay, yes, this is your path. We love this for you. <laughs> that's awesome. That's the universe. It Ugh. works in mysterious ways. Doesn't it, it really does. And like, if you talk to me about the, you know, I'm like all about this. Like I completely feel like the universe is like, it's almost like we, we only have so much control. You know what I mean? Because our fate is already so the, our fate is decided is whether or not what we, which, which path that we pick to go. Like, this is so funny, but I'm just going to say like, there's like, you know, that movie sliding doors. Did you ever see that movie with, um, I didn't see it though. Okay. Okay. But you know about it. You've heard yes. about it. Okay. So I think in life, you, your fate will always give you those like decisions. Right. And, and so you'll go down whatever the path is. So you may do the wrong decision, but it will end up taking you back to the decision you were supposed to be on. So that's you when go. you go down, you can go down the wrong path and things will happen. It won't work out to somehow bring you back to the path that you were supposed to be on. That's what I think. Right. right. And have you seen in action, um, are any people from like your artist career, did they kind of plug back in later seven or eight years down the road or 10 years down the road and like influence oh, yeah. what you're doing? Like, wait a minute, look how that came back full circle. Wait, do you know this? Do you, do you, do you know, is this like, you really don't, oh my I don't God, know this. this. Is, oh no. my God, this is crazy. So it's one of my how, favorite questions. Cause I like connecting dots. So, okay. Well, these dots are very, yeah. Barry Weiss, because basically he, so LA Reed signed me. Right. And then he went to Epic, um, <clears throat> like probably four or five years into me being signed there. And then Barry Weiss came and was the head of my label. So I had there you to, go. you know, it's like, as it, as it is, I guess, as, as a new artist, when you have been broken on a label, the new guy comes in and you have to come in and do your whole thing. Like, are we going to drop this person? Are we going to keep her on the label? Whatever it is, or keep them on the label. So I remember the day that, um, that I went in with my guitar and I was like, oh, I was like, had to play him, you know, the days of like showcases and stuff. So I went in and like played him a couple songs and it's so funny to, to, to know him in that time. It's just so crazy. So, so anyway, I played him a couple songs, ended up staying on the label for a couple of our years, made an EP. Um, <clears throat> and then fast forward, probably like five or six years, Barry comes into my life again and, uh, asks me when he started records, he asked if I wanted to write with Noah Cyrus and that's how that, and it was just such a, like a full circle thing. And in fact, um, really funny because he's the one that dropped me. <laughs> so hilarious that I ended up working with him later, but it's all love. Um, but he, he, yeah, he asked me to work with Noah Cyrus and, and that was just, you know, it, it was, we, we connected right away and ended up, you know, the, the rest is history ended up working for, for years. You know, I helped develop her and all those things. And then he ended up signing her to records and then we ended up doing just a couple other projects. And he was like, do you, want to be a consultant. And I never even thought in my, you know, it's actually interesting because as an artist, I remember thinking like, I could never be an A&R. There's no way, like I'll never be an A&R. And then here I am, I'm an A&R. Like it was so weird, but it, for me, it wasn't even like, I'm, I'm not like a titles person or a box person. I'm always like, okay, I love development and I still do. So I love being a part of the process. So to me, I looked at like the A&R thing for as almost like, the Quincy Jones method, you know what I mean? Like being able to like really be a partner rather than like, you know, a creative partner to an artist. And that was something that I really always 
instinctively enjoyed. So, so that's how that all started, but yeah, that's how Barry came back in my life. So crazy. Yeah. I think, you know, my experience as an A&R person, I think, you know, there's two schools of thought on it. And I think a lot of people group everyone together. And I don't think a lot of times, you know, maybe artists understand what an A&R guy is doing inside of that organization um, and how much abuse we take to protect the artist and kind of do the right thing. You know, it's a, it was a, you know, and it may have changed, you know what I mean? When I was doing it, that was kind of important to do. So, um, you know, advocating for the artist always. And sometimes that has repercussions negatively, you know, as an employee of an organization, but. Oh my God. I mean, it has not changed. It's, it's, it, and, and you know what, if one thing that I find in terms of advocating for the artists in that situation, not only does it affect you in that way, how you just said it, but it also can affect your relationship with the artist because as much as you're trying to like defend them or help them like achieve the goal, sometimes you just can't, you have to sort of be the middleman and be able to come up with something that both parties are good with, you know, and it's, and essentially, especially for me as a creative, right. As, as somebody who is art first, sometimes the artist's favorite song will be my favorite song, but the, the, the label won't agree. Right. So it's kind of like, how do you sell that? And then if you don't sell that and you come back to the artist and say, okay, you can't put out your favorite song. How does that not ruin your relationship with the artist? And then for me, I was like, that was something that was, that almost made me feel like, um, like a sell I was selling out, you know what I mean? It was like, a just, it was, that, that was really, really, that was one of the most challenging parts just because I'm, I got in it as somebody who wants to be that creative partner and somebody that's like, just loves music so much and wants that warm, fuzzy thing. And I feel like that started to like go away more and more just because you have to be that person, as you said, and it's not always so easy to like no. make middle ground. I used to quit. I used to quit my job about every month. <laughs> okay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that was my leverage. I'm quitting. Yeah, I know. I mean, so. it's my leverage every day. I mean, I feel like that's my out. I'm like, oh, <laughs> drop me off. I don't, I'm, I'm done with this. Like, it's so funny. And then you get right back in the car and you're like, okay, I'm back in a minute later. Not even, you're like, oh, this is my path. So let me ask you, how do you compartmentalize your life today? I mean, you've got your own publishing company. Yeah. You're doing A&R for records and Barry's company and you're a independent songwriter, um, producer. Right. Um, how do you determine, I mean, does every project filter into your life or do some, they're in this column, some are in this column, some are in this column? Well, I mean, okay. So before the pandemic, I was doing so much A&R. I had, you know, like four or five artists that I was, I, I mean, executive produce A&R, cause I was still writing with those artists too. Like, you know, that's sort of what I do. That's what always would, how I did what I did, you know what I mean? So that's, um, but, but it, I would, I wasn't really writing with a lot of artists outside of those ones, you know what I mean? Except for this artist, Benny, who, um, you know, happened to, we happened to have a hit together during the pandemic, super lonely. And that was, um, that was really interesting and a, a very, again, sign from the universe, because, you know, I think I, before the pandemic, I was starting to feel a little bit the way, like I was starting to feel the way that, I was describing a couple of minutes ago to you is that the A&R challenges of, you know, being the middleman and having to just feel like there's confrontation with artists when I feel like, 
again, it, it was something that I wasn't used to in the creative process. You know what I mean? So I was already struggling with that. Anyway, Super Lonely happens. And I think that at that point, it sort of was that moment where I'm like, okay, I'm ready for a change, I think. And to go back to sort of how it was before I sort of took this, this role as like a quote unquote A&R, right? So for me, I, I stopped doing most A&R things, but in terms of like the consultancy, I still work with Barry. I have one artist that I do with Barry that I exactly just the executive produce. So sort of changed the role, you know, and, and, um, just focused on writing more. And I, I, I do still have, you know, I have, so I have this one girl, Tove Sterk from Sweden that I do with Barry still. And I have a couple other artists that I developed very new development stuff. Um, again, as an executive producer, but, um, way less. And, 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 and also I'm able to define the role a little better now, just because I was, I'm so aware of how A&R works that I think that now in executive producing, it's like you can work alongside an A&R at a label, which is actually very, it's a, it's, I love that process. It's perfect because you can, you know, especially if you find somebody that you work well with, I think it's just something that makes a lot more sense for me. So I'm able to compartmentalize, sorry for my long drawn out response, but, um, but I'm able to compartmentalize because I feel like I, that was one of the decisions that, that helped me make is to be like, okay, I want to focus more time on being able to write with more artists and being able to really like capitalize on, on this moment when Super Lonely happened. But, um, of course I still wanted to, to work with Barry. So I was just like, okay, how can we do this? And then that's what we came to. So it's, it's good. I mean, to have one artist with him to still be able to have, you know, our relationship and then to be able to, you know, just be doing sessions every day is, is, is great. So do you have a special, um, I don't want passion for artists that are from all over the globe. I mean, you seem to work with people. I mean, that Benny is what New Zealand, is that yeah. where she's from? So she's New Zealand. Um, you've recently worked with kind of BTS on a few of their hits. Yeah. Um, so you kind of have this like global <laughs> profile, which is kind of cool. How is that for you? Is that different i mean is it different i mean look in the new zealand case with benny native english english is native um somewhat native um, <laughs> and on bts i mean is that harder where they had to kind of start singing fully in english i mean you were able to help them on that path i mean it's really interesting i never i mean some people have been saying that too the global thing i'm like really funny because i feel <laughs> like i never i never thought of myself as that you know i'm the global songwriter, but I think that, um, it's really interesting for me, um, to be in that position just because I think, um, maybe I don't really know what it is. I mean, essentially, I guess I'm, I'm Canadian. I'm not even from the U S so I think maybe that's, that, that's where it all started. But in terms of BTS, yeah, I mean, that, that was just, that was just such, um, I'm, I'm so grateful for that to be able to be a part of that, you know, especially when I was first introduced to them and, you know, vocal producing dynamite was the first time that I really got to work with them. And that was obviously the first English song. Um, and during a pandemic that was really in the midst of it, right. That was like August, 2020 or no, probably would have been when I was working on it, like, uh, June or July. But I mean, it, it's just such a, they're so massive and they're so amazing and everything they do is, is like incredible. I mean, it's just their, their videos their I mean, it's just, amazing to see what, what, what they do and to be a part of helping them make their first English song is, was so, was so fun. You know what I mean? I love working with, um, I love working with bands cause I'm just, I love harmonies. So 
for me, like the arrangements and being able to really like listen to their tones and which tone should go where. And like the, you know, the, the, this, the, this, the story arc of a song, you know, with a band when there's seven members is really fun. Like, it's so fun. It's like a puzzle. So, so yeah. Do they harmonize? Do do they sing together normally outside of COVID or those, they each do individual tracks and then someone like you pieces together kind of what fits together, what works. Well, for, well, for dynamite or like all the songs that I was a part of, they did them separate. And then I, but of course, like in terms of like, if there was a part that was intentional harmonies, you know, it would be intentional. I wouldn't be like, they wouldn't sing something and be, I wouldn't be like, Oh, this accidentally works. (laughs) You know, like it was something that was definitely planned, you know, like we would make, you know, like whatever it's going to be like the five part harmony and I would send it to them and they would, they would sing it. And, And I would basically make suggestions of who should sing it, you know? So if I was like, oh, I think Jamin should sing this or Jungkook or, you know, I would send that to the, the A&R and be like, this is my suggestion. And I think this is who should sing it. And then she or, you know, and she would come back and say, oh, what about V on this part? Or and now, you know, so we would go back and forth on those things. And then the boys would come in and sing it. Um, really interesting process, because obviously the time difference was crazy. And so it was like, you know, 4am for me on the East coast. Cause that's where I was on in the pandemic and, you know, 7pm for them in, in Seoul. So, um, how it would normally work every night, I'll call it every night for, for me. <laughs> so for like two weeks, basically, um, on each song would be like, okay, the boys are going to be in the studio for like three hours tonight. We have like 30 minutes with each with the, or with 20 or 30 minutes with each boy. So basically, you know, Jungkook will come in, and I would have all my notes prepared and everything prepared. I would sing like voice notes. This was for dynamite. Um, I would sing voice notes of like, okay, this is what I was hearing. This is how you, I feel like you should sing it. I would send it. And then he would send his version back. And then I would be like, oh, this is so, I love this, but can you try this? And then I would send it back. He would send it back. And then for butter, it was the same process. Um, but, but I did it with um, my collaborator, Stephen Kirk. And we, we, you know, we, we basically did that together and it was great to have him alongside and on that song, just because he's a guy and he was able to communicate as a, as a male singer, which was actually genius. Cause for dynamite, you know, I'm still a female singer. So when I was, it worked, but it was nice to also have the guy singer just cause it's, you know, it's, it's, um, it's different the way that certain things are communicated. You know what I mean? So, so yeah. You um, and look in their case, it's a little bit different, as you said, because there's seven of them, right? Um, I know in my experience in the past, I've had issues with singers where they kind of get mentally blocked. Um, I literally had a case where they would they would refer to their voice in a second person or third person, um, and they couldn't complete their vocals. Um, anyway, have you ever run up across anything like that um, where it's just one singer? I mean, I feel like it's, I mean, with, with, with BTS, I just feel like they, they have, they, they're so good at being able to like, they've been a band for so long. I feel like there's just so much like synergy there with, with them. And I just feel like that's, um, that it it just, everything was just like a very like natural process. You know what I mean? Right. That makes sense. 
So what's your, I mean, what do you feel like your special sauce is? Like what's your secret weapon that you can bring into any um, session, a songwriting session or into a studio? Um, what do you hear? Kind of what differentiates you and what's your weapon of choice? <laughs> <laughs> um, as okay. As like a creative overall or as a vocal producer or as just like. Whatever. Songwriting as a vocal producer, you know, what is it? What's Jenna okay, got? It's I the secret think, weapon. <laughs> okay. I think my secret weapon is to, is like my energy, honestly. I really think that because I, I have this like thing where I just know how to like, I, I feel like I'm such an empath that I'm able to feel energy before I even get there. Like, I just know exactly how to be in every situation with everything. You know what I mean? So I think that, and I'm able to, you know, sponge myself into whatever energy calls for that day. And I think for that, whatever that person needs from me that day. And I think that, um, that that's just been something that's carried me through my whole career as an artist and as a songwriter, just because, you know, as an artist, you're a performer, you, you're supposed to, you know, you're, you're making people feel good by your, you know, performing and wanting, you know, and I think that for me as a songwriter, it's the same sort of thing in, in a way, you know, you, you make someone feel comfortable or whatever mood it is, you create that mood. And I think that can like, that is so important in creating a song. Cause if you come in with bad energy, you don't even, sometimes songs don't even get written. Think of that. Like think about how, funny how important that is like any single thing can interrupt a vibe and nothing will get done that day like that's something that's so nuts like and I've watched it happen like when something when a studio can just feel so stale like nobody can even feel inspired so if you're inviting this energy in a room where everyone feels super elevated and super inspired it's amazing the best song can be created from that no that's a super legit superpower so. <laughs> I really think it is. It really is. It really, in fact, I'll tell you like a funny thing that um that I've been doing recently. So I like I I always feel like I, I'm such like a person of I like manifesting all the time and just all this stuff that we're talking about. So I um every like couple weeks my, I get my nails done and it's like a Pinterest board and everything that I want to feel for those two weeks, I put on my nails. So like right now they say like be happy or like don't be normal, things like that. And I feel like it's like the same thing as getting a tattoo. If you put it on yourself, it's a remind, it's a daily reminder to think that way. And I'm always about that. Like it's, 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 it's whenever I see, um, like, you know, they're not like 11, 11, 12, 12, 1, 11, I take a screenshot so I can look at it. Cause to me, the photo like makes the manifestation like ha happen more. Cause you're just, you know what I mean? It's visual. Right. That's awesome. <laughs> Let's talk about the natural extension of your empath superpower. And that's, a show you do called The Green Room. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'd call it a podcast. It could be a podcast. It's a show. Um, I watched some of them over the weekend. You know, my initial thought was, oh, geez, I'm going to get into this and be some kind of psych psychological <laughs> babble of some <laughs> sort. <laughs> and I'm just going to get an overview of what Jen is doing here. And then literally 55 minutes later, I'm still listening to each one of them. It's like, Oh, that's interesting. So, so you're totally doing really good work there because you hooked me in. It was like my whole weekend got hooked into them. So no way. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I listened, especially I listened to the one you did with uh, Jack Kays and with Steve Shaw, Dr. Steve Shaw. Yeah. 
And I mean, I thought Jack was like, whoa, he's being completely transparent here. I mean, that's very curious. Um, and then I listened to another one with, uh, was it Dr. Lynn Iani? Is that her yeah, name? Yeah, exactly. And Louisa Johnson. And that was fantastic. I listened to the whole thing, each one of those. Oh so. my God. That's so, I love that you did. Thank you so much. That That's, um, yeah, I mean, so I started doing the green room because of, yeah, that very thing is that I feel like music has always been such a form of therapy and maybe before, before I even knew it, you know, um, for me because of the energy thing. And also just because of, um, just because I, you know, I go in so open to sessions. Right. And I'm so, and if somebody asks me something, I can say the most personal detail about my life. And a lot of times, you know, people are like, Oh my God, are you sure you're comfortable talking about that? But for me, I'm like, of course, like I'm not, I always think like, in a songwriting session, anything is like you, it's like you could say anything and you're in a safe environment. In my, in my opinion, you know, it's like speaking to the universe. I really think it's important if you're making music to be super open. And I think in that sense, it's always cathartic when you come across, when you make a song that really helps you through whatever moment you're going through, um, honestly for good and for bad. So I, and I, and it's, it's been like that writing with so many artists and songwriters that I've worked with and they feel very similar. And especially when, when, when creatives are like me and they can, you know, open up about things they're going through. And I'm just like, how cool would it be to have a show like this where one, it presents, it shows like, if I have like someone like Jack or Louisa, like their fans, get to know that they're human, you know, and why they go through certain things, you know, for Louisa, she was on the X factor and, you know, basically ended up getting a complex from it, you know? And, and so that, I think that's a really interesting learning lesson for a lot of artists now trying to do those same sort of things, you know, whether it's American Idol or the voice or, or anything, it can even represent being signed. Like I was, um, and feeling like you have to, and especially as a female too, it's like, you have to say yes to things that you really want to say no to just because you feel like an opportunity might be taken away from you. Right. And I think that for young artists to watch that from somebody like a Louisa, who they look up to is really, is really inspiring. I would be inspired as a kid, you know, cause you think, okay, well, if she's going through it, she won the X factor. She's beautiful. She's so talented. All these things that you think is the, the, the recipe and she's going through this, then you know, I must not be so crazy. Like I, you know, everyone goes through it and I think it's normal. And in fact, it can make you a better artist, which she explains, you know what I mean? So I think that was something that was really interesting for me. And I knew that I would, I would hope that people would connect to that on whatever episode it was, you know, Jack talking about his, you know, obviously going through so many things with mental health, especially coming into getting a record deal and feeling like, you know, not confident in so many ways. And, in 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 actually like, you know, he talks about going to therapy for the first time and trying to get used to that and not feeling ashamed of going to therapy and things like that, but it always comes back to their music. And it's like, Oh, okay. Well, I write better songs for it. And I'm more honest for it. And people connect to me more. And I love that. You know what I mean? And I'm like, Oh, this is so cool. Cause I feel like it really explains the, the, the act of making art in a way that's very human. Well, and I just like that you, you know, put a person there too, that's, you know, a psychologist, a music therapist, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, there's that, that party there too, as part of it. I think that makes it really fascinating. So. Well, I did, I decided to do that because I felt like how, how interesting to have their perspective, you know what I mean? Cause it's like, it's a real therapist to be like, okay, this is 
this is why you're dealing with this and actually can be helpful for the listeners too. Cause if they're going through it, it's like real medical advice, you know what I mean? And, and in fact, um, you know, I have the Jed foundation, which is a nonprofit for mental health as a partner. And, um, when we were, who are they, who are they? They, uh, well, I mean, beyond that, they're the Jed foundation. (laughs) I mean, they're, they're just, um, they're actually, it was, um, they worked with a lot of artists that I was working with. Noah supported the Jed foundation. And again, they're just one of the nonprofits for mental health. And I just really liked, I liked them and I liked all the people that work there and all these things. So I just, I felt, I asked them if they wanted to partner with me on this and they were thrilled and it was, it was, it's just been great. But, um, cause essentially what I want to do is give back to mental health. Right. So a lot of times, a lot of the therapists we use are from the Jed foundation and a lot, um, when we were doing some of the episodes on Twitch or like Instagram live or things like that over the pandemic, um, the Jed foundation was actually able to provide like hotlines. Cause sometimes we would get people calling in with, with really serious issues. And in that sense, I feel like we were able to really help in a real way as well. So. So are these live when you initially do them? They were in the beginning. Yeah, they were. So I was doing them. I mean, so again, cause it's the pandemic, I did them in so many different ways. Like, you know, the Twitch thing, IG live, I, I used this, um, rodeo on YouTube when I did the episode with Olivia O'Brien. Um, and then recently since like, you know, we can be back in person to some extent now, um, I've done a couple episodes where I've pre-taped them, which is going to be interesting because like, it's been a totally, the live aspect was, was really cool just because it's like, you can, you know, speak to the fans and, and also just people listening in that need help. So I think it was a very interesting way to do it, but the pre-tape could be cool too. Cause I'm, ju- I'm still trying to figure out how, when I release it, maybe I do some sort of thing where, you know, there can be an hour of, of chatting or something on Twitch before the release of the episode. But, um, but the in-person ones are really great. I feel like I got a totally different thing out of it because, you know, I've been doing it for a year on zoom. So, or, you know, not, not in person. So I, I just did, um, an episode with Jojo and Sam Fisher separately, but those are the ones that I've recently done in person. Yeah. So this is something you're going to continue with your busy schedule. You're going to slot this into keep it going. I really am just because it's like, I feel like it's something that's so important to me. And I think, you know, I have gone through so much anxiety in my life and, you know, battling eating disorders or being bullied or, you know, being a woman in this industry and dealing with being objectified or whatever the things that I feel like I've dealt with, I feel like I can really use my experience to give back to younger artists coming, coming up now. So to me, it's almost like my responsibility and I love it for me and for, for other people, right. It's like, it's, there's such a catharticism to it and it really feels inspiring for me in my own work. So yes, I'm hundred percent continuing it because I think it's a part of who I am now, you know? That's awesome. Yeah. The guardian just did a piece on Friday about, Female artists, you know, like Billie Eilish and Lord and Lizzo and, uh, you know, kind of what they're going through now that their fame is kind of eclipsed a certain level. Um, and now having this scrutiny on them and them having to pull back a little bit as a female right. artist. It's really curious. Yeah, I suggest you kind of maybe find that. I thought it all tied into what you were trying to do a little bit with the show, so... Wow. That's so interesting. So what do you, what do you just being able to sort of live with what they've created with 
like what is exactly what was the it's kind of them figuring out how to do it you know like where a guy like frank ocean just kind of pulled out completely he said look i'm an icon i'm not playing this game kind of um you know saying how are they dealing with their sophomore or their junior records and you know how the lyrics are changing you know how they're laying down some of the more negative experiences in their lyrics um so it's kind of from that pov you know that's really interesting to me because that's that can be a really that can be really hard psychologically on you as an artist you know what i mean because it's sort of like you've experienced this like actually i'm about to do i'm actually about to do an episode with somebody um on the green room about this is somebody that is with the highest success comes the most depression. Mm. And it's really interesting. It's very interesting because I think, you know, the pressure is, is, is the, the most pressure is there. And also it's like, for some reason, sometimes like going back to what we were talking about in the beginning of this um, chat that we're having is that um, for me, you know, like, coming up in Canada, I remember I was telling you, I made, I was able to make great art because there was no pressure. It was just like, Oh, I want to make it like, I would get up and be like, Oh, I want to pick up my guitar because I want to, this is like so fun. But now there's always like some sort of in the back of your mind, like, Oh, like this like thing where you're like, Oh my God, I have to write a hit. And it's just like, Oh, like, I don't want to sometimes I just want to make a song, you know, like, I don't want to have to think that hard. But when you, when you, when you have all these eyeballs on you and, 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 and just also just people expecting you to deliver a certain thing all the time, it, it can, it can really hinder your creative process. That it can. So, but it's fantastic what you're doing. I really, I don't know. I was, I'm in, I'll, I'll watch a lot more <laughs> of them from here on out. So Yay! I learned a lot. I learned a lot and I just, I really appreciated the transparency that was kind of being shared there. I was, taken aback a little bit by it, to be honest with you, because they're artists and sometimes artists don't want that front and center. So I thought it was interesting. Well, I love that. And I appreciate that. Um, and that's, and that's a, re- a really good, like I, it's so true. Like you wouldn't necessarily think that an artist wants to expose those things, but you know what? A lot of them do. A lot of them really do. It's, it, and I think now being that globally, we just went through something that like, when is that ever going to happen? It's like, as a globe, we went through all the same thing as in a pandemic, right? So everyone can relate more now than ever. So I think that it's it's given a lot of people, in my opinion, humility. I don't know what you think, but I think there's a definite sense of humility with people that, that I'm around. And I think that because of that, more now than ever, people are able to feel less shame in talking about whatever they may go, be going through. Because it's kind of like, okay, like, it's almost like, we just expect, we almost saw the world end. So why, why can't I say this now? There's no, you know, like, what's the point of not saying all these things that, um, that ha- you won't have been wanting to get off your chest? Because I think there's a sense of that, right? It's like, like, I know that's not, I'm taking it maybe too far, but like by saying, okay, I could wake up tomorrow and the world could end. And then I wasn't able to say everything I wanted to say. It's almost that feeling where you're like, okay, who cares at this point? I might as well say it. Like, wh- if I'm not going to say it now, then when will I ever do it? So I think, Honestly, I think that's part of it too. I think artists more now are just like, of course, I want to tell my story. You know? Yeah, I, yeah, I think there's a, two sets of things that came up in the pandemic. And one is more self-awareness and some level and humility as you spoke of. And But then I think there's the angry side of people that came yeah, yeah. out. It's, it's just a, completely unleashed, um, which is frightening in a way. So. Well, it's frightening, but you know what's interesting? It kind of ties back into the same thing. I think, yes, 
there's humility, but I think the, the, the aggressiveness and which is super scary and you're right. But I think the reason is, is maybe that that could have been living in people before. And now this is just bringing out everything that's really been inside. I think that's exactly what my point is. Yeah, I, I'm not, if that's a good thing and at all, it's, 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 it's definitely super scary, but I think that whatever beast was living inside of you before that you were keeping locked down is coming out right now. I agree. Is it so. a pretty beast or an, or a <laughs> who knows? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, listen, thank you for your time. Um, congratulations on all your success and um, thanks for giving back with the, with the green room. I think that's a really impressive initiative on your part. Thank so. you so much. I really appreciated this. This is so, this is so fun. And I love, you know, that, that you and Claire go way back and all these because I, I love her. She's just amazing. Stay healthy. And I uh, hope to meet you in person at one point. <laughs> you too. All right. All right. Thanks, Jenna. Bye. Thank you for listening. This show originates from the podcast capital, Austin, Texas. My producer is Sean O'Neill. Visit theradicalpot.com for updates and even some merchandise. Also, please subscribe at Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I also ask that you please share episodes with your friends so we can continue to grow our community. See you all again next Friday.